Welcome to Business Talk Sister Grok. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruby. And today we are talking about why a brand has value. I'm super excited to talk about this because it's kind of an interesting topic to to look at and there's so many case studies. So we're going to get into um, a lot of different examples today of what that looks like. Um, So the biggest question a lot of people have when they're like, well, why, why people say you have to have a good brand? What, what's valuable about it? Why is it people pay so much money for something that might be the same thing? Mm -hmm. And we're excited to talk about the the concept of the same thing first, because I think it's really important to understand where we're starting from. Because a lot of people will tell you, oh, well, it's because it's better quality or it's because of this. But I'm just going to go back a little bit further. We're going to use clothing as an example and dig into the textile industry and a little bit about the history of what's happened in that area. So, mm. Um, because I think it's really easy to pick out clothing brands like Nike and Adidas or um, all these different companies. So uh, in probably like around, I mean, in the 1900s, wow, I feel so, <laughs> I feel so young when I say back in the 1900s, um, especially the 1960s, there was a really big transition boom of manufacturers of products moving over to China as well as other Middle Eastern or Middle East, the Middle East and uh, Russia, um, Ukraine, and and they are actually servicing different markets. So um, that Eastern European area really feeds a lot of the stuff that's coming into Europe, whereas like the stuff in East Asia supplies a lot of what we have in the mm-hmm. United States and. If you've ever looked at the back of your clothing and you've seen a tag and it says made in and it has all these countries like Malaysia, Taiwan, uh, the Philippines and Vietnam. And you're like, why is that? It's just one shirt. Why is it made in all these different countries? Like, why are they all on there? Um, well, part of that is, is the institution of these buying companies. Um, these big companies that decided to get get understanding of where they could get something manufactured the cheapest and they would take a product and figure out okay you want a a sweatshirt they would find out which country can bid them for hundreds of thousands of sweatshirts to put on that zipper for you so they would ship it to a country say like taiwan get all the zippers put on but they needed buttons sewn on for a different section for that um, the zippers and buttons. Let's I'm go. Thinking, I'm thinking like <laughs> buttons for like the sleeves or something. I don't know. Okay. But or or they you wanted to get it like the serge seam or the the like sweatshirt embroidered or something. Yeah, embroidery with the logo. It moves around, so it was. It's actually cheaper for them to ship huge, huge orders of product to a different country to get one thing done, and that's how our clothing got so cheap because we could, or people could do that for relatively low price point, um, way cheaper than what the United States or Europe could manufacture that same product at, right? So people are doing this, they have all these buyer things. So how do people order something, right? Well, there's these companies where you can, if you're a decent sized company, nowadays it's even gotten more niche where we've talked with people who have said, oh, well, you can be a private labeler, all this stuff. And a lot more people are getting into it now because of Amazon and other other places like that where they can sell products straight as 
from a buy it from a wholesaler private label and sell it themselves well back in the day like in the early 2000s or so most people weren't doing this and you had a lot of um name brands like Aeropostale and Abercrombie and Fitch and all of these different people that were coming out with a t-shirt but then you went to Walmart and you saw the exact same t-shirt but it just didn't have the Abercrombie and Fitch label on it right mm -hmm. so how does it look so similar well there are these companies where you could go in and you could basically say hey I'm the buyer and this is the season's colors um, this is what we're putting out in our product line. So you have like your designers get together and decide what, what the products are going to be for the year's clothing season. And then they give it to this buyer who goes into the company ordering website. And then they're working with other countries. A lot of times these people actually speak multiple languages because it's a lot easier for those people to like get things done. Um, and they would design your, let's just say your standard polo shirt, except for there would be like a button in a different spot than last year. And it would be a different color. And so they would pick like the color specs of the dyes they want. And oh, by the way, we want a little bit of a change to the pocket where it's pointed at the bottom instead of straight across, right? So they make these quick little tweaks, um, choose what they want, and then they do that mass order. And then that company goes out and gets everything done for them and ships them that huge <laughs> order to the United States. Why are you laughing? I was just laughing because I was thinking about Micah, our youngest brother, got this shirt that had pocket on it. <laughs> I remember and that. I kept staring at his pocket. I was like, what is wrong? And it had like the the Death Star or whatever, the Star Wars Death Star on it. And I was like, why does it look so weird? And then I realized that they had sewn the pocket on upside down. <laughs> it was still a functional pocket. Like it just was upside down. Like you could still stick your hand in there. It was just upside down. So I kept trying to like shove chips up there. <laughs> this is the same day that I was like, he wasn't giving me any chips at all. And then... I was so mad. He had this little bag of Doritos and I was all mad at him. And I was like, do you want some more Doritos? And he goes, yeah. And so I went, <laughs> boom. And I smacked the side of his Dorito bag and crushed up all the chips. And so then he had, quote unquote, more Doritos. Oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, but that just made me think of the upside down pocket and how I'm wondering, maybe that was the style for that year. <laughs> No, we was it? Like, we had two of that same shirt. And they were, we were like an impractical yeah. design this year. Okay. Okay. Anyways, so basically, <laughs> there was clearly a manufacturer error on that one. Quality control was out today. Okay. So basically, what happens when those shirts come to uh, the US is that they get put in the store, right? And you're wondering, well, why does the Walmart shirt look so much like Abercrombie and Fitch, except for maybe it's just a slightly different color, or the pocket's just a little bit different, or maybe they're exactly the same, and there's no the logo, logo on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of that reason is because they are the same. They're coming from the same place. But one company is just putting their brand that they've made on that product, and they've marketed it well, They've set a reputation for who wears that product and, and, and align themselves with similar um, interest groups to people who would wear their target market product, right? So a lot of people would be paying $35 for that shirt versus maybe like $7 at Walmart because 
of the of of the brand itself. Now, I'm just going to go off on a side tangent because I find this like so interesting. Those companies that produce that stuff, especially for places that are in like malls and stuff that are decent size and there's multiple locations and they have those decently big batch orders, when their product doesn't sell, what they do actually is basically give them back to that person that manufactured them a lot. This is really common. Um, they give it back and they get some kind of a store credit. And then those people are like, you know, manufacturer credit. And then that manufacturer will actually resell all of those branded name products to people like this big, now they're all a part of one big company like Marshalls and TJ Maxx. And a lot of times when you're like, oh, how did they get all this really inexpensive brand name clothing? That's how they do it. They pull it actually the the brands themselves like adidas or nike or whatever they don't sell those things to tj maxx for the most part those actually go back to the manufacturer and they resell it so they actually take the work out of it for that person and and it ends up being cheaper in the end because they don't get stuck with a whole bunch of inventory and it also preserves their brand value by putting it in a different store instead of throwing it to the homeless shelter or whatever else and saying, oh, you can have our leftover products. But if there's so much of their product on the market, it loses value because it's a supply and demand, right? And it so keeps their stuff fresh and everything too, I suppose. They get all the stuff, the old stuff pulled off the shelves and you have to get the new stuff. Yeah, it saves them a ton of warehouse space too. Yeah. Um, when they, when so when you say they give it back to the manufacturer, what do you mean by that? Do they resell it at a lower price to the manufacturer? Do the manufacturer buy it back from them? Yeah, or... so the manufacturer essentially buys it back. Okay, for the I same would... amount that they... That I they... doubt it. I don't I actually yeah. know the, the full pricing. You would probably have to work for that company to get... That's proprietary information, so... Gotcha. Um, but anyways, the process itself is very interesting and I love learning about this kind of stuff. I'm like, Ooh, how <laughs> does this work? I never knew. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I say that because it's important to think about what, what role the brand has in bringing the value, the marketable piece of how much you can sell your product for now. Mm -hmm part of what I said, that whole process of actually not just flooding the market with your product, but selling some of that back and then offering it for still a decent price point, but at a lower price point for places like Marshall's and TJ Maxx to sell. Um, the reason they're doing that is so that it still creates this um, consistency of, yeah, this is a valuable product. And unless you go to these specific places and find that special deal, you're not going to get it because our product has value and and it's got the logo on it so people know that it has value but how do they get to that point um part of it is starting that journey of having a consistent quality product and having good customer service a lot of these companies started um look at jc pennies for example i mean in some places you're like we don't have our jc pennies anymore we still do we lo I love JCPenney's, <laughs> but within what they did, they were really well known for having great customer service mm -hmm. and really high quality products. Now, mm -hmm. over time, I would say that they are not as known for that anymore. And they're more known for um, getting your dress clothes for school or something like that. Um, but that's how they started. And a lot of brands, especially as a smaller business, 
that's how you need to start and you should start because your value is in your reputation. Yeah. And a lot of times when people brand their companies, um, when they're an individual, so say you're a sole proprietor and it's just under your name. So for example, everyone talks to Ruthie. Oh, well, you need to talk to Ruthie. She knows what she's talking about, um, which is great. But the issue is if Ruthie ever wants to retire, all of the value of her business is in her name, mm. right? And so when you transfer the, the value and the recognition of trust into a brand, then that becomes the value. So it's no longer um, the business. It's no longer just the individual that has that reputation. It's now the brand. Mm. Granted, Ruthie is the person behind the brand, but as her business grows that value can be then passed on to every individual that works within that company or if she sells the brand to someone else to take over her business let's say i don't i don't think you would but probably not some, but you know some people do right <laughs> but if you're putting all of that reputation into the brand itself for your business that trust element is there and it now has value so if someone else says hey can i buy your business and keep doing what you're doing because you're going to retire or because you have another business that you're starting, um, they still have that recognition that you built by your quality customer service, your consistency to your customers, the products that you had, um, but they recognize that it's your product, right? Yeah. So talk with me a little bit about what this would look like for a small business. So say you had... Um, like if you don't have a lot of capital to be able to spend a whole bunch of money on getting your name out there and stuff, which you still should be doing some level of marketing, but how can you build your brand like a reputation for yourself as a small business? Well, first you need to know what you want to be known for. Mm. But I mean, we did a whole, um, we did a whole episode on how to choose a company name. So you should totally check that out. Mm -hmm. um, having a company name is important because that's going to create um, recognition of who is behind it or what, what that looks like for what, what do you do, you know? Mm -hmm. And then along with that, if you have, this is what I want to be known for. This is my company name. Then you need a logo and mm -hmm. utilizing that logo on anything that you're producing, whether you're taking photography and you're throwing your logo in the bottom corner or whatever to make sure just if you're doing it for on your website and or on social media, whatever, put those things out there and have your brand all over it because that logo is going to be what you're putting your um, value into by building. You personally are doing the work of building those relationships, but when you consistently um, introduce yourself as from this company, they're going to start associating mm -hmm. that consistency with your company and not just you, right? Yeah. So that so, comes over time. And I mean, if you don't have a huge budget, the, I mean, at the lowest end, less than $50, you can get a logo design. You can design the logo for yourself. Check out our tools and tips page, but then get some business cards, less than 50 bucks. You have business cards, you can start handing them out. And we know consistently studies have shown that um, recognition of visuals processes way faster in your brain than words. People can recognize brands without even the, the name of it being on there. So it's, it's pretty impressive 
um, how that works. Um, and, and there's a big thing that happens sometimes when you, when you build a brand identity that is so huge and so valuable that a lot of times for certain um, organizations that have marketed it really well for a long time, or maybe they were the first one to bring that product to the market, they become what's called a household name. Like Kleenex, dang, dang. or Xerox. Mom used to say Xerox all the time. Did you Xerox that? He's like, copy it. Or it could mean fax it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you FedEx this? Mm-hmm. Um, those things are because they were kind of the first in their field to start doing something. And mm-hmm. um, actually, that gets in a little bit into the trademark aspect. Um, you can build a trademark around something that you have created. Now ketchup did this and I don't know if you've ever noticed why some places it says catsup, like it's spelled differently. Mm. It's Mm. because ketchup was actually trademarked by Heinz. Mm. Um, And there's a certain time period in which you're not allowed to use it. Um, But then once you borderline like household name, um, there's a lot of other stipulations into, okay, you've had this brand name for a really long time and trademarked it, but after a certain amount of time, because it becomes common knowledge after there's some legalities in there and everything, but then after a while it becomes basically public domain and then other people can use the same word for the mm-hmm. same thing. Um, so if you're ever looking into that, there's like a whole process on filing for a trademark and you have like six months to actually prove you're using it so you can't just go out and like file a trademark um, and do nothing with it you actually have to have proof of intent that you're actually going to use it on something otherwise you'd have the same thing that happens with domain names all the time where people just go out and buy like a whole bunch of domain names that could be really valuable like shop.com toothpaste.com like super common things they'll buy them and then hold them until someone wants to buy it from them for thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. so that's the reason the u.s government doesn't let you do that (laughs) (laughs) and then you were talking about like the the visual recognition piece and there is a quote from uh thrivehive.com i don't know if it's dot com but it's from thrivehive (laughs) we'll link to it in the blog post (laughs) Yeah, it says brand and marketing consistency helps to build awareness that allows the customer to easily and immediately recognize your brand. And then one of the examples that I (laughs) thought of, because I was recently at Aldi, it's called instead of um, frosted mini wheats, so they've got like the same, I mean, obviously box shape because it's cereal, but like they've got like the same color scheme and kind of the same, almost the same font, you know, like the layout of the actual design on the box and everything, but it's called (laughs) frosted shredded bite-sized wheat. (laughs) And every time I see that, I just think it's so funny because I'm like, wow, you really, you went as close as you could and it sounds so stupid. Like, can you imagine if they were the ones to like, be the four forerunners on that product like try our frosted shredded bite-sized wheat <laughs> like they are like really piggybacking off of frosted mini wheats to, to drive home their sales of that product because i would not buy it if it was marketed like that but i did buy some the other day but i just found out i'm gluten intolerant so i can no longer eat it anyway <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's worse than just buying an off-brand product <laughs> <laughs> so, but, brand product that you're allergic to yeah <laughs> okay so but why do people 
pay more for branded items. We talked a lot about what that could be. There's a couple other different reasons that we didn't cover though. Um, one of the reasons people pay more is for product consistency. Like they know exactly what they are going to get every single time. Um, which is why a lot of people always choose Coca-Cola over the off-brand cola, right? Yeah, um, another thing is because people want to utilize the status or recognition of that brand that has been set in a precedent that this is an expensive item and it brings them a personal status or recognition that they feel that they're well um, served by that, whether it's driving a name brand. I mean, come on. At this point, all cars have a brand, so it's not really like... <laughs> <laughs> that big a deal but a for clothing it's a big deal. <laughs> you just made your own what kind of generic car brand is that <laughs> yeah. there's so okay. much more we could say about this next week we're going to be talking about how to use a consistent brand to create value and the importance of specifically consistency across the board on the different channels of where you brand um but we are going to transition into our sister gawk portion bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Talk about Becca found this uh, Facebook post. That We're gonna was, like, share it to our page. I'm just gonna. <laughs> you're probably gonna have to go back and like scroll through our post to find it because I'll probably share it right now. <laughs> but oh my goodness, it's oh. called Becca. What was the name of the post? It's like it's, something to do with with the uh, horrible architectural designs. And um, we're going to look at them and then describe them to you. So Becca's going to share a screen with me so I can see the same thing that she's looking at. But there's one that looks, it is, doesn't just look like it is, uh, a tub that was set up right next to a set of stairs. Like, we're talking <laughs> like 15 steps. <laughs> like, you step out of the tub, you're done <laughs> Oh my goodness. And it's like tile on the side. Like, you just, it would easily slip and fall down the stairs. <laughs> okay, but what makes me feel a little bit better about this is that the original author of this post lives in Canada. So I'm like, okay, I mean... That makes me feel so good. <laughs> what? Why do you say that? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, you know, there's, like, certain building codes that you oh. have to have requirements <laughs> for that apparently Canadians are not following. But... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay, so um, one of the th another thing that was in here that I just cannot, I've seen this, this is the second time I've, or third time I've seen this, is when people put mirrors over their beds, like, like on, the ceiling. on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, it's like you go into the dentist and they have that like <laughs> one uh, panel of lighting that they yeah. like took out the like regular white lighting and somebody cover. thought about it like someone purchased those things yeah and then they like, put up, like the the cloud so it looks like you're looking yeah. out the window but you're actually just looking at a fluorescent fluorescent light <laughs> with a cover over it but yeah i would i just hate the mirror over the bed thing because literally what are you gonna do wake up and look at yourself like in bed like oh there i am good thing yeah, wait to start I I start like. your confidence off real low in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Just remind yourself it gets better after you shower. <laughs> it's going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one was this. Uh, it was a dining room slash toilet combination. <laughs> 
was like it's literally a dining room table next to a toilet and sink and the comment on the side my girl you should read it oh my gosh okay you guys when we share this you gotta go back and read the comments because they're they're hilarious hilarious. they're so funny it's like somebody wrote it's obviously when you've just brought home taco bell (laughs) (laughs) saves precious precious time yeah oh my goodness uh, all right well thank you so much for joining us this week uh we always have a great time just chatting about random stuff and i uh, love that you guys join us uh share our podcast with a friend and join us again next week